In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 we read, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. In his time. In his time. How many of you like waiting on the will of God? How many of you want the will of God now? Ah, hold on, here we go. These are powerful words. They're beautiful words, but they're very hard words to live by. We want the promises of God to be fulfilled right here, right now, at this very moment. We want God to fulfill our agendas right now, when in reality, God wants us to be still and wait before Him so He can fill His agenda in our lives in His very time. God's timing, God's perfect timing is beautiful. But God's timing, God's perfect timing is often hard to wait upon and wait for Him to fulfill. I want to share with you a brief journey this morning, if I may. I want you to imagine that God has given you a promise, that God has given you a mission, that God has given you a mandate, that God has promised you a future, and yet you know that to be the case. God has reaffirmed that in your heart again and again and again. It's very powerful. It's very liberating. It causes excitement in your heart. It grows with each passing day. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. It's, it won't let go of you. Uh, it holds you. It, 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 it's, it's there. You know it's God. It grows every day of your life. It's there 24-7. And you understand that God has made it uh, real to your life. He's shown you that you've got much favor. You have much blessing and much influence, uh, spiritually speaking, that when this dream or vision is fulfilled, uh, that you will see an entire city come to know the Lord. You'll see your family transformed by the power of God. You'll see something phenomenal that will take place uh, within your life, and you know this thing is of God. You even had well-known, respected, proven prophets to come by and speak in your life to confirm that which you already know. You've had mentors and people that you respect come and speak to your life, knowing nothing at all about the subject that God's spoken to you about, but it's been confirmed in your life again and again and again. Isn't that wonderful? But here's the problem. You know what you're going to do. You just don't know when God's going to let it happen. And friend, that's the hard part of life. Knowing that God's given you a hope, a word, a future, a promise, or a mission, but you do not know when it's going to happen. In my opinion, that is the number one thing uh, that derails people's faith, derails people's dream, and vision, and mission that God has placed upon their heart. Brothers, I'm not sure if you understand gardening or not. Anybody ever been a gardener? Uh, you know, you have to go out and you have to uh, prepare the ground. You have to make the rows and the land. Uh, you plant the seed. You cover it with soil. Uh, you put a little fertilizer on it. Uh, and then you wait for the summer rains and the summer heat to come uh, to germinate those seeds in order that you might be able to produce a crop. The kingdom of God is like a seed planted in the ground. A good farmer knows that you don't plant one seed today and get a harvest tomorrow. Crops are not microwavable in their growth. And the promise of God are not microwavable uh, either. Spiritually speaking, a planted seed represents the time that we wait and we wait and we wait uh, for the seed to produce and to bring a crop. By the same token, God gives us uh, promises and hopes and futures and dreams and missions, but more times than not, like the seed in the ground, we have got to wait uh, for the Lord to germinate this through the rain of His Holy Spirit and germinate it through the sunshine of His love. And we wait and we wait and we wait. And the meantime, God is trying to build a disciple. He's trying to make us to be people to be trustworthy and people that will learn on Him with trust and with faith. Now, how many of you like to wait on God's promises? Don't lie to me. I don't want to preach a message online next week. 
I don't like waiting on promises. In my life, it's probably the number one thing that I struggle with, waiting on God to fulfill that which he said he would do. And the temptation for you and the temptation for me is that we do not get in the way of God uh, trying to help him along, thus circumventing uh, the plan and purpose that God has uh, for our lives. I believe, friend, if we take matters into our own hands, we're going to damage the fullness of the promise that he wants to give to us in our life. One of the greatest examples of this, as we now know from the Bible, is the story of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, the Bible lets me know that Abraham is 85 years old. Uh, one day the Lord speaks to him and said, uh, Abraham, uh, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham said, say what? Lord, I'm an old man. I'm 85 years old, and Sarah and I have been on Social Security for 20 years. And I'm going to be the father of, of, of a great nation. I don't even have an offspring. But the Lord said, you will have a son. So regardless of his biological clock having ticked its last tot, uh, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of being the underdog, regardless of being the odds, God said, you will have a son. So Abraham believes God. Isn't that wonderful? God gives us a hope, a promise, a dream, a future, a mission. We believe God. We roll up our sleeves and we're ready to go. Much as did Abraham. He believed God. And it was counted upon him for righteousness, the scripture says. Abraham goes out and builds a baby crib. He adds a nursery onto the side of the tent. They go down to the nearest pyramid called Walmart and they buy baby bottles and they buy formula and they buy diapers and they buy a high chair and they buy the rattlers and they buy the blankets. They buy it all and they're waiting and they're waiting. And one year turns into two years. Two years turns into five years. Five years turns into ten years and they don't have a kid yet. And all the milk they bought spoiled. All the clothes they bought out of style. They waited and they waited and they waited. So Sarah has a wonderful idea. Abraham, let's help God out. So Abraham, I've got this woman here, as you know, by the name of Hagar. She's my servant lady. Have a relationship with her. Okay. So he goes out and what happens? Nine months later, Ishmael is born. Ishmael is what you get when you try to help God out in the flesh. Ishmael is what you get, my friend, uh, when you try to fulfill the God of promise in the flesh. When you carry out in the flesh can never produce anything spiritual, and it certainly will never help speeding up the will of God or the plan of God for your life. When you take matters in your hand, you don't usually speed it up. You usually delay. Yeah. Now there's problem in the camp. Ishmael's presence brings chaos, and it brings chaos in the home. Sarah now resents Ishmael. And Hagar now thinks that she's uh, Abraham's number one wife. And what do they do? Abraham's caught in the middle. Why did I listen to Sarah? Why did I listen to that woman? Now, 14 years later, at the initial promise, Abraham is now 99 years of age. And God said, this time next year, you're going to be the father. Wow. That's God's way. The next year Isaac is born, the son of promise. And the blessing and the gift of God came in his own timing and without any effort of Abraham or Sarah or of Hagar. Waiting on the timing of God is critical for your life and mine. And that's the hardest thing we'll ever have to do. God made promises. God's given dreams. God's given a future. God's given a hope. God's given, you know it. And here we stand waiting. Dying every day on the inside. And the Bible said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Ishmael's presence. It's really important for us to learn the discipleship of waiting. Too many of us are settling for the pain of an Ishmael when God wants us to enjoy the blessing of an Isaac. 
wait on God's timing. The promise of God for a redeemer, think of this, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God promised a redeemer would come to this world, but they waited 4,000 years before the redeemer. You're talking about waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. 4,000 years, but the wait was there. In the fullness of time, Jesus was born. But it's not that God is slow in fulfilling his promise. It's not that God is slow in fulfilling his word. It is simply he has a plan. It often requires timing perfectly. How many of you know what a timing belt is on a car? How many of you know if a timing belt goes out on some models, the engine blows up? If that timing belt breaks, the engine's gone. And there's anybody ever experienced that? God bless you. You, you remember preach this sermon, can't you? And there's some cars, timing belt breaks, you just can't drive, don't blow the engine up, you just, it's done, it's dead, you're, you're dead in your track. And that's what happens many times. Many of our spiritual timing belts are off. And here we are just spinning our wheels and nothing's happening. You know why? We have embraced our own timing and not the timing of God. Jesus, the Redeemer of the world, 4,000 years from the day of the promise it was fulfilled, He came to the world. And then the world had to wait another nine months, another 33 years, another three days for Him to die, be buried, and raised from the grave. It's all about the timing of God. In other words, Jesus waited on God's timing as well. What I want you to look at today is understand how we can avoid the Ishmaels in our life. If we were to take the time to be still in God's presence and let him speak to our hearts. And he may never tell us when the time is, but if he told us it's going to happen, the time will come. I said he may not tell us when the timing is, but if he's promised it, the time will come. Please take solace in that. Please take joy in that. Please have peace in that. You may not know when it's going to happen, but you've got the word of a God who cannot lie that it's going to happen. Praise the Lord for that. Let me hurry today. I want to look at Jesus and see how he had to wait on timing even when he came to this world knowing he was the fulfillment of God's prophecy of salvation and knowing that your salvation and mine and that of the world depended upon him. Had he not waited on the proper timing of the Lord, we'd all be going to hell in a handbasket this morning. First of all, Jesus knew his calling. Jesus filtered everything through his calling and through his mission. When you and I discover and know our calling, our purpose in life, my friend, it will be critical for the fullness of God's blessings to rest upon us. The Bible said in Hebrews eleven six, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Seeking God is more than prayer. It's more than Bible study. And it's more than doing good works. Seeking God involves knowing his mind, knowing his will, knowing his plan and knowing the heart of God. Understand that. Brothers and sisters, we must know his heart and plan for our life and then we respond to it with obedience in waiting for him to fulfill that which he said he would do. Think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied that the, the, uh, Judah was going to go into bondage and yet the false prophets came out, oh, you'll only be there for two years. You'll be there for two years. Only two years. And, you'll, and Jeremiah said, you're a liar. God said, you're lying. And he said, Jeremiah said, you go into uh, 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 Babylon as captives, and you might as well build your houses and plant your gardens and go ahead and have your kids to get married because you're going to be there for 70 years. 
Now here the false prophets wanted to speed things up so the people would feel good, but they were messing them up because of the words they were saying. But when you got a man that can hear from God, and he says, wait until God said wait, we'll be a whole lot happier knowing what God wants done than us trying to do some pseudo type of the will of God. I don't have God's timing in everything. But a lot of things God spoke to my heart in my life and that of my wife and I in personal things and family things. We knew what to do, but we didn't know when to do it until God said, now's the time. Amen. I remember a guy years ago who had cancer. He went to the doctor and was diagnosed a big old spot on his back. And it was hurting him at night. And he finally went to the doctor and said, I'm sorry, but it's cancer. And you've been so long in getting here. You should have come a long time ago. We can't do anything about it. It's inoperable. Radiation, nothing will take care of it. And he said, the best I can do is operate to delay the inevitable. might give you a few more months of life. What should I do? And he said, Doc, let me and my wife talk about it. So he went and talked to his wife. And 10, 15 minutes later, the doctor came back in and said, what do you decided for me to do? Do I, do, do I operate or you just borrowed time? He said, Doc, we appreciate your expertise. I'm paraphrasing. We appreciate your expertise and all that you said. And sure, I have come probably too late. But we want to trust God. If I live, I live. If I die, I die. I don't want no knife, no radiation. I'm just going to trust God. So they went home, and he prayed. And in the wee hours of the night, the story was told to me that the man was in such excruciating pain that he'd go in his living room and get on the floor and cry. And the devil said, you fool, you fool. Reach around and touch it. And he'd reach around. You're a fool. You feel it. You see it. You want to die. And that was a battle. And then finally, he came to the place where he just began to pray and trust God. And the devil say, touch. And he goes, no, I'm not. It's not there. I'm trusting God to heal me. And it was a battle going on, a battle going on. He felt he had the promise of God that he would be eradicated from that particular cancer, that particular man. He prayed through till he touched God. And he battled and he battled for weeks and weeks and weeks turned to months. And one day he was in prayer. And God said, son, now you can touch it. And he reached around and he was gone. It's all about timing. And it's all about our being obedient to that which God has spoken to us in the daylight because we're going to be battling in the nighttime for that thing to be fulfilled. I don't know any other way to say it. Everyone has a call of God upon his or her life, and we all have to be obedient, and obedience requires our waiting. We all have a call of God upon our life, some purpose to fulfill, some ministry to have. But, friend, we have made mistakes in the church age equating the call of God with some full-time vocational calling behind a church pulpit. We think if we've got a call of God, that means we must be employed by the church. We've got to be a pastor, a teacher, evangelist, a prophet, or apostle. That is not true. We all have a purpose and we all have a calling of God in which we are supposed to be in field. And it's all important to the kingdom of God. Friend, I want to tell you something. If I can do anything for you this morning, I hope it's this. I want to show you the incredible plan of God for your life. And it has nothing to do with who stands behind this pulpit. It has everything to do with your relationship with the Lord. I said, it's everything to do with your relationship with the Lord. In the book of Matthew, we see James and John, along with their mother, coming to Jesus saying, uh, when you come into your kingdom, let one of my boys sit at your right hand and one of my boys sit at your left hand. And Jesus was taken back. 
I mean, Jesus was talking about the death he was going to die, the suffering that he was going to do, and he was talking about his future pain, and they wanted to occupy a throne. And Jesus said, Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Compare to what they were saying to what Jesus said. It was not the time for them to think about the throne. It was not the time for them uh, to sit down in the kingdom with him. There was a job to be done. We got to wait on the timing of God. With that being said, that's one of the secrets of spiritual success. Knowing what it is that God has for you to do on this earth and then shaping your whole life around that instead of just existing. Another thing we look at in the plan of God, Jesus understood timing. Now, years ago, John Maxwell was probably one of the leading gurus in leadership. Uh, many of his books were used as textbooks in universities and in colleges on leadership. I have one of, several of his books, but one was the 20, 21 Laws of uh, uh, Essential Laws of Leadership, I think it was. And in that, he writes down four truths concerning this. He says, the wrong action at the wrong time brings disaster. The right, uh, the, the, wrong, the right action at the wrong time equals massive resistance and rebellion. And then the wrong action at the right time brings mistakes and failures. But the right action at the wrong time uh, brings success and massive growth. Now, how many of you know that the brothers of Jesus did not believe that he was the Messiah until after Jesus died and rose from the grave? It was only then they put their trust and their hope in Jesus Christ. By the same token, James and John, they had an earthly mentality. They wanted to sit on the throne of God here upon this earth. And Jesus said, there is no throne to sit upon until I suffer, till I bleed, till I die, till I rise from the grave and go back to heaven. But let's just play along with their scenario this morning just for a little while. And let's act like uh, the hip, uh, the, uh, a hypothetical situation. Let's play like that God would set up, Christ would set his kingdom up before he went by way of the cross, which would bring wrong action at the wrong time. Jesus would go into Jerusalem uh, in the fall, or the, the fall rather than the spring. That would create disaster. Pilate was somewhat of a new governor during that time. He was gung-ho with the Roman government, and he would have been in line with what the Roman government would have wanted to have done. I uh, had Jesus walked into Jerusalem at the wrong time of the year, uh, and, and all the people would have followed him, his disciples, there would have been an insurrection that he would have thought would have taken place, and Pilate would have killed every one of Christ's disciples along with Christ himself. Therefore, Jesus would never die on the cross. You and I would still be in our sin, and the world be going to hell in a handbasket because no, no way salvation would come to this world. That, my friend, is the wrong action at the wrong time. What about the right action at the wrong time? Let's say Jesus shows himself the following spring uh, during the Passover. He enters in, the same result would happen, but his fame had not yet reached the masses of people that were alive during that time, and therefore he would not have any huge support whatsoever, and the message of Christ would have been totally rejected and resisted. What about the scenario of the wrong action at the right time? Let's say Jesus in the third year of ministry, he went right before the Passover. He assembled every follower in the, around the Galilee that showed up in Jerusalem, and thousands and thousands of people were demanding that now, Jesus, you become the king. You just become the king. We want you to have the king. Therefore, you've got to bypass the cross. You know what happened? That would have brought civil war. 
The Hiranians, Hiranians would have been against the uh, Sadducees, the Sadducees against the Pharisees, and next thing you know, uh, Pharaoh, would, or not Pharaoh, but uh, Nero would have come in and destroyed everybody living in Jerusalem along with that city itself. But then you think about the right action at the right time. The plan of salvation stayed intact because Jesus understood his calling and he understood the day that it was supposed to be fulfilled. As a result of that, he suffered as he meant to suffer. Jesus died the way he was meant to die. He died where he was meant to die. And he died the vicarious death the way he was supposed to have died. As a result, he died. Every, every uh, prophecy was fulfilled to the T. Jesus rose from the grave as a prophet said he would do. He ascended to heaven as a prophet said he would do. He's ever living to make intercession as a prophet said he would do. The death and resurrection of the reason you and I are in this building today. The reason we're saved. The New Testament we have to read. The Gospels we have to read. Missionaries around the world. All because Jesus fulfilled the will of God in the timing of the Father's will. It's important that we know what God wants us to do. But it's important that we know how to do it. But it's important we know what time to do it in. Timing is of the essence. Now, here's the fun part. How many of you, God's given a dream, a vision, a hope, a future, a promise? How many see your hands? Seriously. If you don't, we're going to ask God to give you something to do. How many of you know you have to wait on it? Now, what's it like living in, in, in the meantime? What's it like living there? It's hell on earth. Come on. Jesus knew he was born to die. There was a 33-year gap between the day he was born and the day he fulfilled the prophecies of God. 33 years. It was not a piece of cake. He was ridiculed. He was made fun of. He was lambashed. He was spat upon. He was lied about. He was talked about. He was gossiped about. He went through all kind of pain. You are the devil. You're no count. You're rotten. Nothing good comes out of the Nazareth. Blah, 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 blah. You know, you've been there. But let me tell you something even worse than what man did to him is what Satan tried to do to him. During the wilderness temptation, Satan came and tried to tempt Jesus in three ways, the same way he tries to mess your life up and mine. And if we follow any of these ways, our life is in deep trouble. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life itself. Remember the background of the first temptation. Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. If you've been in that wilderness, you'd fast too. They'd nothing to eat. You won't find a jackrabbit in that place. Nothing green. Forty days he fasted. By this time, I got a feeling the man was hungry. So there Satan looks at him, and he says, Turn these stones to bread. In other words, Jesus, use your divine power. I want you to understand something today. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian. This truth still applies. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not even about the church. It's about what does God want done with your life. In a nutshell, here it is, church. God has given you a calling. God's given you a purpose. God has given you a mission to fulfill. Your DNA is different than anybody in this world. Your handprint is different than anybody else's in this world. And God has given you gifts and talents that's meant to be used for your calling. And those of us that accepted Jesus as our Savior, it's almost like we have a supercharge to be able to fulfill the things that God has asked us to do. But what the devil wants you to do is not use your gifts and ability to be a blessing to somebody else, but to use those gifts and abilities and talents upon yourself. Upon yourself. Your gifts, your talents are from God. 
And therefore they should be used for his glory and to thrust his plan forward for the good of the people and not for my own good. When you use them for yourself, you're going to increase your fame. You'll increase your notoriety. You'll increase, oh, look at me and what I've done and what I can do. And as you go up, you're not glorifying the Lord. As you go higher in the light, you're not glorifying the Lord. You're glorifying yourself. Jesus is saying, Jesus, or the devil saying, Jesus, since you created everything, you sprung these worlds into existence. Surely you're hungry. All you've got to do is take that same power and turn these stones into bread. After all, aren't you God? He tries to put doubt in Jesus' mind. And then he tries to get the power that Jesus has to use it for his own self. Satan is saying, you created all. You, some gods you are. You're sweaty. You're smelly. You're hungry out here in this God-forsaken desert. And all you've got to do is speak the word. You spoke the word and all this came into existence. Speak the word again and the stones will become bread. Use your power for yourself. Use your gifts for yourself. Use your talent for yourself. Use your ability for yourself. How many lives have been wrecked from among people using their own God-given talents for themselves? How many rock and roll singers started out singing in the choir at church, singing solos behind the pulpit, loving the Lord, but their ego got bigger than their faith Next thing you know, they're out now in the limelights. They're stars of Hollywood and Dollywood and Wormwood, whatever the case may be. They're all stars. Stars are often meant to fall from the sky. And many have died of drug overdose and alcoholism and abuse or some venereal disease, all because their ego got in the way. God gave them a talent. God gave them a ministry. God gave them something. But, ah, I can take this and do something more for myself, for my own notoriety, my own fame, and my own fortune. Brothers and sisters, is it any wonder why the most popular entertainment show on TV they tell me that ever existed is American Idol? Think about that for a moment. Look at the second temptation that Satan throws at Jesus. Throw yourself off the top of the temple. In other words, show off. Be the show off, Jesus. Show us what you can do. If we're to modernize Satan's temptation, it would sound like this. Reveal yourself, Jesus. Don't worry about walking this road for three and a half years and going up and down these hollows and up and down these valleys and up and down these lakes trying to share your message to people. Don't spend three and a half years uh, trying to let people know by your works and the works you say and the words you teach that you're God. Just get about ten stories and jump off there and the angels will catch you. Man, I can book you, boy. I can, I can book Capernaum Coliseum. I can book Jerusalem or I can book the Madison Square Garden and people will come uh, from all over the world to sit down and see who you are. There's a shortcut to the will of God, Jesus. Bypass uh, the cross. You don't need to wait. In our lives, the shortcut is always there, available for us. Be a little, just be a little honest on the job. Throw your coworker under the bus if it'll help your career. Play the political game. Use gossip to your advantage. Claim credit to yourself and not to your team. Take all the credit for it. You're the big guy. Take out your opponent. Rise above the crowd. Place will go bankrupt without you. They're nothing. You're somebody. Take the shortcut. That's the way to do it. 
That's what Satan put in his mind of Jesus, and that's what he puts in our mind many times. When we know what the will of God is, and we should be waiting on God's timing, he said, take the shortcut. You'll get there in fame and notoriety, and man, God can use you more there than he can use you on the side road of a street somewhere uh, there in Israel. I think perhaps the need for fame is taking a shortcut was seen in 1994, if you recall, United States figure, figure skating championship. Remember when Tanya Harding and her husband conspired to take out her biggest rival, Nancy Kerrigan? Remember that? They took a baton and struck her legs. I can still see her on the ground crying. She wanted to get to the top, so she took out her competition. She took out her competition, taking a shortcut for the Olympic gold. As a result, she still looked upon as an example of allowing ambition to take over, and the unthinkable was ahead for this girl. There's no shortcut in God's kingdom. Friend, the best thing you and I can do when we know the mind of God and the will of God is wait for the Lord to give the timing for that to be fulfilled. If we mess up, we mess up. The third temptation in modern saying, I'll give you what you want, the entire world, Jesus, if you'll just worship me. You don't have to go by the way of the cross. Just worship me. You want to participate in the punishment for the sins of humanity? You can get everything you want, everything you desire, if you do one thing, change the object of your worship. After all, God's holding out on you, isn't he? Why are you going through all this pain? You're the son of God. You created this. Why do you have to bear the sins of the world? You didn't do anything. Let me tell you something, friends. When you are discouraged, when you know the mind of God, the plan of God, and the will of God, and you seem like it's a million miles away, you get discouraged, and you listen to the voice of an enemy. And you listen to the voices of people. And next thing you know, you're down here in the Wally Grovers down here, and you don't know what to do. But I'm here to tell you, stay in the presence of God. Stay in the presence of God. Stay in the Word of God and wait before Him. And let Him renew your soul and renew your spirit for that which God said He will do. And that which He spoke, He will bring it to pass, even though He did not tell you when it will happen. But if we cannot believe His Word, what are we even doing here today to begin with? And that's what Satan wants you to do. Just give it up. God lied to you. God pulled the rug up underneath you. And I have a feeling, if you'll be honest, how many of you here today, you feel like God has made you a promise, but he left you in the flat of your back and you pulled the rug up underneath you. Come on. My hand's up. Anybody else? Any other brave souls out there? Guess not. Guess I'm the only one that's ever happened to. I want to try it again. How many of you know that God has given you a mission, a mandate, a promise, a future, or whatever, and you've waited and you've waited, and he, you felt like he pulled the rug out from underneath you? Oh, there's some honest souls now. And the devil sits right here, and what does he do? You're a fool. You blew it. You listened to the wrong voice. Whatever. The, no, you did not. If God spoke it, and God confirmed it, and God confirmed it, you hang on. God's going to do it. Yeah, it's just going to be his timing. Think about Noah. As I read the scripture, only one time that I see God said, build the ark. So Noah goes out and starts building the ark. And what does he do with that ark? He builds and he builds and he builds and he builds. What you doing, Dad? Building an ark. What for? It's going to rain. The world is going to be destroyed by water. Hey, Mom, Dad been drinking any wobble water or something wrong with him. Mom, Dad been dragging on a cigarette of some kind out there. Something wrong with Dad. He's building this old big boat. What for? Well, son, you know your dad, he stays in the presence of God, and he says God spoke to him about building this big old ark. You want to help him? Might as well. Bang, bang, bang. It goes on for months and years and years, turns into decades. 
And now the kids at school, and they're all making fun of lots of kids. Your daddy is a crackpot, isn't he? What's wrong with him? I don't know. What's he doing that for? He heard from God. He what? He heard from God. Oh, my Lord, this man is crazy. He's a French fry away from a happy meal. There's something wrong with him. He keeps on. And nowhere do I see that God ever told him more than one time to build that ark. That's beautiful to me. How many times do we tell God, tell me again, Lord, are you sure I heard from you? Are you sure? How many is like that? We all are. But I find Noah one time where God spoke to him, and he kept on, kept on, kept on, kept on. And finally, they all thought he was crazy, I'm sure. But then one day God said, Noah, it's time. Go out and get animals two by two, except for these, get seven of them. And get on the ark. Bring your kids and bring their wives. And here they go on the ark. And they get on the ark, and God shuts the door. What are we doing here, Dad? Just wait. Just wait. Dad, I hear something outside. What's something falling? It's called rain, boy. What's rain? You'll see. To have that kind of a, a walk with God, that you know, that you know, that you know, years ago God spoke. It's not come to pass, but you know the God who spoke it will bring it to pass. Then all of a sudden, the fountains of the deep open up and the boat begins to rise. It begins to buck. The next thing you know, the rain's coming down. The flood's coming up. And now people beating on the outside that ridiculed him, made fun of him and laughed. They're knocking, let us in, let us in. They can't because God shut the door. What am I saying? If we're not careful when God speaks and it doesn't come to pass, we'll listen to the devil, we'll listen to other people, but you better know you've got the mind of God. And friend, you can bank on it. Come devil, come hell, or flood water, you can bank on it for the glory of God. That's what Satan wants to do. Worship him. But Jesus was able to resist the temptations, all three of them, Understand his calling, knowing and abiding in God's timing. He overcame the temptations and all the obstacles that was thrown at him during his 33 years of waiting. Well, it was God. It was Christ. It was easy for him. No, it wasn't. He was in the flesh just like you and me. Susceptible to temptation just like you and me. Susceptible to vulnerability just like you and me. And susceptible to frustration just like you and me. But he held in there. We overcome by following the principles found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. And so let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the what? The joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we can learn to do that, we can learn to share in the triumph of Jesus. And finally, Jesus enjoyed that triumph. One of the biggest hindrances to modern Christian church growth today is our attention spans and tolerance for waiting is at an all-time low. We are not patient people. We are impatient people. We've got instant potatoes, instant coffee, instant gravy, instant this, instant that. But we want now. We want it now. We don't even wait patient enough for the TV to warm up. It takes two seconds for it to warm up. We're still impatient. You've heard me say it many times. We are in a microwave generation and we serve a crock pot God. Think about that. I, for me, I, I hate red lights with a passion. And there's a bunch of them between here and my house on the south end of town. 
And to make matters worse, they have taken a four-lane road right in the middle of town and made it a two-lane road. Another day for another subject. Not this morning. But I had made a vow to God best I could about five years ago or longer. I said, Lord, I'm not going to play at red lights no more. I used to get so hot. So I pull up the red light. I'm always, I'm always first in line to red light because everybody went through but me. And I'm, I'm boom, I'm there I am. But I've learned something. If you go downtown, let me t- tell you a secret. Once you pass the railroad tracks all the way down, if you're a red light, and when that little guy on the street comes on here, white light for the, park, for the guy to walk, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004, go ahead and hit the gas because 1,005 is going to turn re- green. I got that down to a science. <laughs> and I, on 1,004, it's still red, and I hit the gas, and I'm praising the Lord because I'm ahead of everybody now, see? We are not patient people. We're variant. Patience is letting your light shine when your fuse is blown. But modern technology has made things so easy that it stripped the need of perseverance through tough times in your life and mine. It's a fact of human existence. It's a vital necessity of spiritual growth. And that is we must learn to submit not just to the will of God, but to the timing of God. And friend, that requires patience. And patience is something we don't have much of. How many of you like to have patience? Pray for, pray for patience. You're going, no. Why? Tribulation brings forth patience. Pay for patience one time. Don't do that no more. I just say, God, by your grace, help me be patient. In the meantime, don't hurt myself or hurt somebody else. Patience. The only thing that can derail you is through insisting your plan and your timing is better than God's. Timing, church, is important. I want to take a moment this morning and ask God to show us where we might be meddling in His divine timetable and release all of that to Him. The discipleship of waiting is not an easy one, but it's worth it. In closing, don't settle for the Ishmaels of your life when you can have the Isaacs. Don't settle for second best when God's promised you first. Delay is not denial. And the longer the prayer is delayed, the more perfect the answer will be when it comes. And I want to close with this. If God has spoken, if God has given you a promise, a future, a mandate, or a mission, He didn't tell you when it's going to be fulfilled. But he did tell you it's going to happen. Can we go home and rejoice in that? I can trust him that it's going to be fulfilled. Father.